them. This morning we continue in the book of Mark uh, through our series. We're looking at chapter 3. Last time we were in Mark, Steve covered verses 20 through 30 in chapter 3. Verse 20, you'll notice that Jesus returns home to Capernaum, probably in Peter or Andrew's house, and the place was packed with people. And we know that his family, it says in verse 21, was thinking of him, and they were outside and basically thought that Jesus was crazy. Now, last week, Steve gave you the police 10 codes, and 1096 was, this person's crazy. And now, how many of you, just by show of hands, used 1096 last week, like a hundred times, like that person's 1096. I know I have, I did it. Jesus' family decided to go to Jesus and take charge of him, verse 21 says. And you and I maybe have thought him crazy too, because if you put yourself there, you know his circumstances, you know his surroundings, you know he's been going up against the religious leaders. And so the, the, the family is starting to try to take hold of him. But Jesus has made some permanent life decisions. Life decisions that he has security in his Father and confidence in his call, and because of those two things, he is indifferent to what other people say about him. Now, let me, let me say that again. Jesus, because of his security in his Father and his confidence in his call, is indifferent to what people say about him. He was not crazy, but he was in tune with his Father's will. Not only was his family thinking that he's crazy, but there's also the scribes. And the scribes move it from a, not only just a, a crazy, insinuating, like, why is he talking this way? Why are his disciples acting this way? But they become even more pronounced and begin to accuse. This power is coming from Beelzebub, or the source of his power is from Satan himself. The scribes do not deny that Jesus' power is there, the healings that have happened, the demons that have been cast out, but now they are just questioning where the source of power is coming from, and they accuse Jesus of it being from Satan rather than God. And Jesus responds to this accusation of power, and his argument is this, I, I have, I've just cast out demons, now if I'm doing this in Satan's power, it's a kingdom divided against itself and will destroy itself. Satan then will begin to bring about his own destruction. Then in verse 28, Jesus gets to the verse about the unpardonable sin. And, and, the, and the, the message is all sins are forgivable. It's this unpardonable sin that Jesus is talking about. And it's this ongoing, this ongoing condition of the heart to deny Jesus, to not accept him, to not believe him. And that's where we left off in verse 30. Now this morning we continue in chapter 3 and finish up the chapter. And Jesus circles back to discuss his family membership and the will of God. And that's the title of the message this morning, Family and God's Will. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. And God, we thank you for last night. That it was a time for, for Selah to sing for us, but we also believe that we sang with them and worshiping you. And so we thank you for them and their ministry. And God, we thank you for this morning where you give us a time to be together as a family. We thank you for a time that we can rehearse truth and song. And now, God, we come to your word and we ask you to teach us in all wisdom and all truth by your spirit. God, I pray this morning that you find each of us here ready and willing to hear and receive from you by the power of your spirit. 
and by that same spirit, by that same power, that you would enable us to respond and to do that which you show us. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you, behind you, or beside you, that they would hear from the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Family and God's will. Mark chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, verses 31 through 35. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Verse 21, uh, in verse uh, 31, Mark resumes what he was talking about in verse 21. At this point, Jesus' family is on the outside, and this crowd is on the inside. They misjudge him on the outside and oppose what he's doing. Their mission, as you read through the lines, is that they're, they're trying to pull him away to protect him. And in fact, it would be pulling him away from his ministry, what God had called him to do. And if we're shocked at the opposing role of Jesus' family, we're no less shocked by the response of Jesus to his family. Jesus' family's intentions are conveyed to Jesus, and Jesus neither indulges them or explains to him, to them what he's doing. The setting is inside, as we see in verse 20, and at some point, as they're gathered together, somebody brings this message to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Twice we're told that Jesus' mothers and brothers are outside, verse 31 and verse 32. And the ironic thing is that usually the household members of the family are inside and the crowd is on the outside. But now it's reversed. The crowd is on the inside and the family members are on the outside. And that's our context this morning, and there's three questions I want us to look at. One is, who is Jesus' family? The second one is, what does his family do? And the third one is, how can I know God's will? Who is Jesus' family? Verse 31 through 33 say, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said... Who are my mother and my brothers? Now, if you're in the room with Jesus, just think about this question for a second. What would you be thinking? Or if you were the family outside, what would you be thinking? When Jesus asked the question, who are my mother and my brothers? It seems that there are two correct answers because first, Jesus did have a physical family just like you and me. I have a physical family. Family that dates way back. I was talking to my parents last night. We think it may be Irish, maybe Scottish, probably a blend. I have a family tree. I have a mom and dad who are here this morning. I have two older sisters, and yes, I am the baby of the family and proudly accept it. <laughs> my sisters, maybe not so much. I also have two sons. I have a family tree. You have a family tree. Jesus had a family tree. 
Matthew 1 and Luke 3 give the family tree of Jesus. Several New Testament scriptures confirm the fact that Jesus was not the only child born to Mary and Joseph of the physical family. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, a Greek variant of Joseph, and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now stop and think just for a second. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? When Mary would ask, who spilled this? How did this get messed up? How did that get broken? Who made this stain? You can almost hear the brothers and sisters. Well, we know it's not Jesus. He's perfect. I mean, living as a sibling of Jesus would have been tough. It would have been great for Mary and Joseph. Always obedient. But it have been hard on the brothers and sisters. Now, notice in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, that somebody's missing from the family tree that Mark describes, and it's Joseph. Now, we're not 100% sure why, but many scholars and commentators believe that Joseph may have already died by this time. Accounts are sketchy as to what happened to Jesus' brothers and sisters and his family tree after the resurrection. Of the four brothers in Jesus' family, I could find information of only two, James and Jude. Now, in the New Testament, you'll read a lot of different... Uh, a lot of different people with the same name. There's a lot of Judases. There's a lot of Josephs. There's a lot of James. Four in the book of uh, in the New Testament: James, the son of Zebedee; James, the son of Alphaeus, the disciple; James, the father of the apostle Judas, not Iscariot; James, finally, the brother of Jesus. Now, Paul wrote First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that James, the brother of Jesus, was part of the first group in the post-resurrection appearance of the risen Christ. And James, from that time on, gave the rest of his life to Christ. And James, as you'll read, is the early leader in the Jerusalem church. Now, Jude, that name should sound familiar, if you know your New Testament. Jude is also another brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe until after the resurrection. And Jude is attributed to the author of the epistle that bears his name, the book of Jude. The book of Matthew states that he has at least two sisters in the family who are made, uh, named Mary and Salome. Mary had at least six children other than Jesus that likely lived to adulthood. This is Jesus' physical family, and they're outside thinking he's crazy trying to take charge of him. But there's a second family that Jesus is referring to in this story, in this situation, and it's the spiritual family. And it needs to be noted that God's family is not based on biological relationships. It is a true spiritual family held together by the ties that are stronger than those from birth. Jesus' true family does not stand outside and seek to control him. Instead, they gather around him, and they learn from him. Now, if you read your New Testament, you'll notice pretty quickly that the metaphor and the image of family is pretty uh, prominent. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I bow my knees before who? The Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In New Testament, believers are addressed as brothers and sisters. The passage in John 1.12 gives another family reference. But as many as received him, he gave them rights to be called what? Children of God. Romans 8.15-17. We see that we are Jesus' brother. 
For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, which we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Christian community is a family of brothers and sisters with God as our Father. Now, every family has values. Your family has values. My family has values. Sometimes they're spoken, sometimes they're not, and they're just kind of understood. I like to call them the, pillar of fa- the pillars of family that hold the structure together. My family has values. Here's some values that my family has. Honesty. Be truthful. Unconditional acceptance. Everyone is important. All of you have something to offer. And a big value for our family is that we're going to have fun and laugh. Grace Community Church is a family as well. And we have family values. Here's some family values of grace, that we are story-formed. Meaning this, that it is not about our story, it's about God's story and what He wants to do in and through us. That we are gospel-centered, that everything we do, from children to the senior adults, everything we do is gospel-centered. It points back to the work of Jesus on the cross. The other thing that is a value for us is that we are spirit-empowered, that we are dependent on the Spirit's work in our lives. It's not that what we can do, it's what God can do in and through us by His Spirit. Another value we have at the church is that we are word-driven. That this is the book that is infallible for every, everything we do. It's true. And we hold true to it. That we're community committed. We're not alone in the journey with Jesus. That we're mission focused. That we're generosity motivated because God was generous to us. We have intentionally placed words in our vision statement to describe what we believe as a family. That our vision statement says, we want to become a family of maturing believers equipped to rehearse and uh, mobilize to proclaim the gospel. Almost every person that comes to Grace, that goes to our discovery dinner like we had uh, just a, a few weeks ago, says this about Grace. Man, it's like a family there. They just, they just know your name, they hug on you, they love on you. And the reason is, is what God has done in us because we believe we are a family. Now, let me just make a disclaimer. Every family I know has a family member that is weird, different. You know, the one that's just different than the rest of the family. And what's funny is that while we'll probably have someone in our mind that popped up in our family, have you ever thought about they may have you in their mind? There's no such thing as perfect families because families are made up of imperfect people. And for Jesus, he knows his family is not perfect. His physical family is not perfect. But like our personal family and the family of grace, they do have a a unifying thing about them, and that is Jesus himself. And when Jesus was told that his mother and his, his, his brothers were looking for him, he responded by asking this really strange question, Who are my mother and my brothers? 
Now put yourself in the room just for a second. Here's how I think Jesus responded. Verse 34. Here are my mother and brothers and sisters. It's such a powerful statement. That's why I think some of the Pharisees and the people were saying, we've never heard anything like this before. And think this morning just for a second. If Jesus were standing right here, and he asked the question, who are my mother, brothers, and sisters, he would do the same thing. Here are my mother, brother, and sisters. The twelve had received him and responded to his call to be with him. And as many as received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. We are siblings not by birth but, and by natural re- relationships, but because we've been adopted by the loving Heavenly Father. Therefore, all Christian relationships are through Jesus. Jesus redefines what family is all about. The concept or idea is easier to understand about this physical relationship is that we don't get to choose who our family is. God does. The same is true of our spiritual family. If a person has been accepted has accepted Christ, they are adopted into family just like we were. And now all believers are yours and my brother and sister. I remember growing up in the Baptist church and everybody saying, hey, Brother Larry, that's not your brother, that's my dad. But they had this language of family, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, because it was true, they were now brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, every, uh, every family has a weird family member. We get that. But we still are brothers and sisters in Christ. God only holds the physical and spiritual families in his hands, and we are to be centered on his purposes. So we look at Jesus' physical family, we look at his spiritual family, but then there's a question. What is God's family, Jesus' family, to do? What makes them different? And Jesus answers that in verse 34. Looking about the, at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Several, several years ago, our oldest son, Rivers, I was taking him to school. He probably doesn't remember this. I definitely remember it. We're heading to school, and he hadn't been making the best choices when Penny and I asked him to do something. And I told him that he needed to think before he responded or acted or made a decision. And he said, okay. A few minutes later, we're driving down the road to school, and he says, Daddy, what is think? To which I asked, what do you mean, what is think? He said, what does think mean? And I said, it's taking time to get the answer right. Now, I was really proud of my quick response of that answer. I thought it was a really good answer. He said, huh? I repeated, it's taking time to get the answer right. And then I gave him some examples. You know, you think about school, you think about your friends, you think about a test, or you think about playing games. You think, you, you listen to what people are telling you, and you think about it. And then he said this, what do I do after I think? And I said, you do. And he said, oh, that was the end of the conversation. I thought I was, that was enough for me. But I thought I started thinking about that. After you think, you do. 
And that's the preferred pattern of Jesus. We know many people who get that backwards. They do, and then if they think about it, they think. My point is this. In verse 35, Jesus gives us a verb that we need to take note of, and it's this word, does. For whoever does the will of God. This word does is an action verb. Scripture clearly shows that there is action and motion and gives effort or attempts. Jesus not only redefines family, but he also redefines what the family does. It's not a matter of thinking or absorbing or acknowledging or even agreeing to what the family is. But it is also doing what a family is to do. In other words, it's a matter of obedience. These letters uh, are in red when Jesus says, whoever does the will. He doesn't say, you know, whoever thinks about it, whoever even acknowledges it or agrees with the will of God. He said, whoever does the will of God. Jesus calls those to do, who do the will of God as mothers and brothers and sisters. It is a matter of obedience. Now, I want to make sure we understand something. I'm not saying this. If you obey, you become in my family. It's not about our performance to get into the family. It's about what Christ has already done. The point I'm trying to make is this. As we are family, we act like his family. There is an obedience. How many of you growing up uh, used to have your grandparents or your parents say, well, you need to act like you're a Palmer, or you need to act like you're a member of the family? The Palmers don't act like that. Then, In essence, that's what Jesus is saying about his family. That there is an overflow, because we have been accepted as brothers and sisters of Christ, there is an overflow of obedience. Whoever does the will of the Father. It's a connection of love and keeping his commandments. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not enough to just know about God's will. It's not just just to know that we're in the family. Jesus says, whoever does my will. We all want follow through. Jesus counters his physical family's request to come outside with an implicit invitation to come in. You know, there was never once a time where the family couldn't have come in the house. There was always an open invitation to come in. But they had to respond. They had to do Nothing kept them out except themselves. Jesus wants them to be with him and around him, to accept him and to love him and obey him. And this is what I found to be true in my own life. And see if you can relate to this too. So many times, I want God to respond to me more than I'm willing to respond to him. Think about that for a second. There are so many times that I want God to respond to me much more than I am willing to respond to him. And you would think after 30, 40 years of walking with the Lord that this would be different. But there are so many times I want God to respond to me more than I'm willing to respond to him. And Jesus is saying, as a child of God, there are family things. And one of them is to do the will of God. I was thinking about this. Have you ever thought about God and creation? What if God just thought about creation? 
but he never created? What if he thought, you know, redemption through Christ is a great plan, but he never saw it through? I'm convinced God does what he says he will do, and he desires us to do the same. The family of God, then, is marked by those who do the will of God. Which leads to our last question. How can I know God's will for my life? Verse 35 says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister. I don't know if there's ever been a survey done by Barna or somebody else. But I think one of the top three questions that get asked in Christian circles is this. What is God's will for my life? How can I know the will of God for my life? And let me say this, I've heard this question as a pastor in youth, in adults, in marriage, all through the spectrum. And I always start with this statement. God is not playing hide and seek. He's not being cruel or trying to keep you in the dark when it comes to his will for your life. He wants you to clearly know and faithfully do his will. Think with me just for a minute through church history. Think about those people who've gone before us like John Calvin and Martin Luther and Moody and Charles Spurgeon, Oswald Chambers, St. Augustine, John Wesley, Billy Graham, and on and on and on. They weren't special people. They were ordinary people. Backgrounds varied. Some had great families. Some didn't have great families. But they had one thing in common. They knew and did the will of God in their generation. And God desires people to know and to do His will in this generation. And here's the question. Does this generation really want to know and do God's will? That's the question. One person said it like this. In order to know God's will, you, have to be, you don't have to be special, but you have to be available. You don't have to be wise or clever, but you do have to be willing to learn. You don't have to be talented, but you do have to be willing to obey. And you don't have to possess much, but you do have to be willing to give it all away. Over the years, I've come up with five filters for my life in discerning God's will. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not a, it's not a guaranteed list. It's not a thus saith the Lord list. It's not a if you do these things, God's will is going to be lit up in neon sign. That's not what I'm saying. But these are just filters that God has given me over the years based on scripture and wisdom and experiences of others, and it's a guide for me to discerning and determining and doing the will of God. And the first one is this. We must have a deep desire to know and to do all the will of God. I want to ask you a question to think about. How much time do you give pursuing, searching, questioning and confirming the will of God in your life when's the last time you sat back and said God am I am I doing your will is this of you or is this of me I'm convinced that unless we are truly and purposefully looking we're going to have a hard time finding God's will most times the desire for God's will comes before the revealing of his will how many of you have ever heard this phrase before? If you ask the question, you've got to be ready for the answer. If we ask God to reveal His will for our lives, we have to be ready 
and willing to hear the whole answer and do the whole answer. We have come to a place in our culture, even in our Christian culture, where we kind of go, God, what's God's will for my life? Please speak to me. Tell me what my, God, what my will is. And then he says something, and we go, I'll think about that. Let me see how that fits into my life. It's almost we have this mentality, God, tell me what you're thinking, and I'll let you know if you're right. There has to be a surrender to earnestly want to know God's will and to earnestly want to do God's will, all of it. The second thing, God's word reveals God's will. God's will is expressly revealed in God's word. Someone has said this, it is foolish and inexcusable thing to neglect the scripture, especially when we desire to hear from the Lord. It's like being lost and not willing to look at the map. People say, well, Matthew, but if I read God's will, it's not going to tell me if I should marry this person or get this job. No, just start with what it says. What does it say to do? Micah 6 say, he has shown you, O man, to love mercy, to do justice, and walk humbly with your God. Start there. And as we begin doing what the revealed will of God is from Scripture, we will start understanding more specifically how those things play out. There's a familiar passage in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Someone has said it is a lamp to my feet, not a floodlight to the road. The third one is this. Pay attention to yourself, your situations, and your circumstances. Take an inventory. Stop long enough and say, God, what are you doing in my life right now? What's going on with people around me? What's going on with this situation? And that's it. What are you trying to teach me about myself and, more importantly, about you? Take a step back and be as objective as you can with the Lord. Do you see his hand moving you in this way or that way? What are your gifts? What do you enjoy doing? What do you think God enjoys seeing you do? What excites you? Could it be that God is using the way he's wired you uniquely and created you uniquely to give you insight into what his will is for your life? In my life right now, over the past several months, there have been situations and circumstances where I've stopped and stepped back and said, God, what is it that you would have me do? Because I think all of us would agree, we want to be in the middle of God's will. So I want to encourage you, as Frederick Beatner wrote in this devotional, listen to your life. Listen to your life. What's God doing in and through you and around you? Slow down long enough to pay attention. I believe in order for us to discern God's will for our lives, we have to be intentional about intentionally listening. The fourth thing is this, is ask and listen to godly advisors. In finding the will of God and in discerning the will of God, the advice of experienced, seasoned believers is so important. 
People who have known God, have seen God, experienced God, been through situations with God, listen to them. Proverbs 15, 22, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. The Hebrew language uses that verse as a promise. Now, I want to caution you in, in seeking advice from others. You, you need other people than yes men and yes women. You need people that are going to speak truth. They also need to speak in principles, not pronouncements. And by that, I mean this. The advice needs to be somewhat laced with, maybe God's doing this. Have you thought about God maybe teaching you this? Instead of, you should be doing that. The advice from others will have a deep understanding of the glory of God for your life and a gentleness to it, not a condemnation or guilt or a should. And so we listen. One of my uh, cringe moments is when somebody comes up to me, unsolicited, and tells me, you should be doing that. God told me you should be doing that. And kind of the hair on the back of my neck stands up a little bit. <laughs> and I think, don't you think God could have told me as well? Now, I'm not saying that people can't, that God can't speak to us through other people. That's not what I'm saying. But pay attention to the wise counsel of godly people. The fourth one is this, trust God and step out in faith. There are things about God's will that we're not going to know until we step out in faith. There's a gap there, and that's where faith and trust happen. I mean, I mean I've experienced this, and maybe many of you have too, that that God is most not likely not going to give you every detail. There are details he's going to leave out. And you simply have to step out in faith. And when we step out in faith, faith grants us the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. In finding God's will, it is one thing to experience the leading of the Spirit and another thing to know the power of the Spirit. I want to use this illustration. About seven, eight years ago, I was coaching baseball at Hilton Head High School. And we had a really, really good outfielder named Bruce. Bruce was an average to better than average defensive player. He was consistent in catching fly balls. He could run down fly balls. He had a great arm to keep people on, on first instead of turning it into a double. Um, but when it came to hitting, Bruce never swung the bat. Ever. We did, we'd try to do some stuff at practice, we'd do ball toss, hit in the cage, and then he'd get in the game, and he never swung the bat, ever. And we would simply say, Bruce, if you want to hit the ball, you're going to have to swing the bat. And I remember the game. Bruce was up to bat, he'd not swung the first couple of games, hadn't swung the first couple of pitches, and the coach yells from third base coaching box, Bruce, just swing the bat thinking he wasn't going to do it on the next pitch either. But Bruce does. On the next pitch, he connects with a fastball, and it clears the fence. But it was a foul ball. <laughs> but although it was a foul ball, Bruce's face lit up. He was stunned. 
and so were we. <laughs> Bruce was amazed. Bruce experienced power only when he decided to swing the bat. And the same is true of us. When we have come to God with all openness and willingness to know and do His will, when we have read and prayed through His Word, when we have taken inventory of our lives and circumstances, when we have asked God and friends and family to speak truth into our lives, and when we step out in faith to experience the power, we will understand God's will for our lives. Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I want to close with a couple of questions. And the first one is this. Are you in the family of God? It's one thing to talk about family, but it's another thing to know that you're in it. Jesus defines family of those of inside the house. Do you identify with those in the house or those outside the house? In the family of God or not in the family of God? The invitation is open to you this morning as well to come in, to be with Jesus, to be around Jesus. John 1.12, but as many as received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And some of you may be here this morning going, how do I, how do I get into the family? How do I become a child of God? You simply respond. There are so many people... Uh, make this so difficult they add so much to it and it's really simple come respond believe say yes to the work of Jesus and immediately at that point you're a child of God not only in this life but forever in eternity that's how simple it is to get to heaven to say yes to Jesus and his work on the cross. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. End of story. There's nothing you add to it to be part of his family. That is God's desire for your life. That's his will for your life. So the second question is this. Has your family membership moved you to a place of willingness to obey? Are you and I ready to do the will of God? To move from thinking, but to doing. Moving from personal opinion to whatever God's call in my life is, I'm ready to do it. Have you ever thought about this? What, what keeps children or kids from obeying? Probably the same thing that keeps us from obeying. We think we know better. Jesus said, whoever does the will of God, he's my brother, sister, and mother. Our obedience is an overflow of our love to being in God's family. And the last question is this. Is there a genuine, ongoing pursuit to know and to do the will of God in your life? I want to make a disclaimer this morning. Some of you here this morning, I, I don't want there to be any... I don't want this morning to cloud... Uh, your, your desire or your walking in God's will. This morning wasn't a, a, a time to, to make you doubt or to think or to cloud. I hope some of you this morning have, have heard the message and kind of gone, yes, yes, I am in the middle of God's will. But in a group this size, there may be something, I don't, I don't know. And I just want to ask you to pray and to ask God 
God, am I in the middle of your will? Am I doing this or that because of me or because of you? God, help me understand and discern your will because I know being in the center of your will is the safest place to be. And just as a reminder, Jesus is not going to withhold his will from his family. Jeremiah 29, 13, everybody knows. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. But here's the promise of verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And we will find his power in us and through us when we step up and swing the bat. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for Jesus and his work on the cross. Thank you for the simplicity it is to receiving you and you receiving us that we can be called children of God. God, and I pray from that relationship, from that family relationship with God as our Father, that it motivates us to not just appreciate and acknowledge that we're in the family, but that it motivates us to do the will of God, to walk in obedience. God, challenge us, encourage us to be in your will for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.